بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم وعن سورة العنكبوت سورة of the spider which is سورة number 29 and we are on آية 38 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وعادا وثمودا وقد تبين لكم من مساكنهم من المجن شعيب وزين لهم الشيطان أعمالهم فصدهم عن السبيل وكانوا مستبصرين هيو يسي الله سبحانه وتعالى Continuing the discussion on those who disbelieved and those who disbelieved in the prophets of the time. Although they were very successful in terms of the world, very influential and very powerful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still demonstrated to them and to those who believed in the prophets of the time that uh, He is in total control. And nobody should seek to take away his control. Wa'adu wa thamud, and uh, also the, remember the people of Aad and Thamud to whom we sent uh, Salih and Hud alayhi salam to Aad and Salih to the Thamud. Uh, these were people in Arabia Aad, maybe in the uh, empty quarters down towards the middle interior mm-hmm. and the south and the Thamud towards the north the Arab meaning the Quraysh knew of these two societies and communities and that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them frequently in the Quran because uh, they uh, understood their fate and they would pass by the Thamud on their travels to Dimashq and Syria and uh, you know their dwellings have become manifest to you as I mentioned that they would pass by the remnants of the, the humongous dwellings of the Thamud of north where they would carve homes from the mountains and presumably they would have had access to the people of the Ard also known as the Iram so it seems that during that time the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Arab and the Quraysh knew about these people of the Iram who built homes with very large columns and since then it was now covered by a lot of sand and they have recently excavated the remnants and the well of the Ard of the Iram okay, through uh, some mapping satellite mapping and they have discovered that I think in the 80s or 90s anyway so the Quran speaks about these two uh, communities who were destroyed and the devil then had decorated and beautified for them their actions meaning that the devil was within them and they would insinuate and then tempt them to do things that were wrong and evil and this type of insinuation and beautification of evil is 
now, unfortunately, in every human being. So the devil stopped them, prevented them from the right path, the path of justice, the path of being kind and generous to others, the path of worshipping one Allah, and the path of believing in the Akhirah, in the hereafter. And they were all observers of the truth. They both saw Ad and Thamud, meaning they both saw their prophets, and they both saw how they would regulate their lives and discipline their lives according to the belief in Allah and according to their belief in the hereafter, and they would not indulge in any type of behavior that would be detrimental to them in this world nor in the hereafter. So that's what they would observe. They would observe the lives of the prophets of their time, and through observing their lives, they would be observing the truth. And this how this ayah plays itself out, that you know where they are now, they are dead, and their dwellings have been all but uh, destroyed, that is ruins that you are seeing now, even though they are much more mighty and powerful than you have ever been and will ever be. وَقَارُونَ وَفِرْعَوْنَ وَهَامَانَ And then also remember Qarun, who was mentioned in the previous surah at the end, the Qurah, and uh, he was destroyed, although he was from the people of Musa, he was from the Banu Israel, but he did not believe Allah was in control of his wealth. And Allah is, is the one who gives ni'ma and blessings. And he felt that it was his own earnings. And he felt that he did not need to serve the community through his wealth. And he became very selfish and he was also destroyed. Well, Fir'aun, Fir'aun, we've heard many a times in the Quran, was Haman. Haman, as I mentioned, was his now chief engineer. And the word Haman in that language actually meant chief engineer okay. so that is a title like Fir'aun is a title Haman is also a title where Qarun is a name okay. all three lived during the time of Musa and all three perished during the time of Musa وَلَقَدْ جَاءَهُمْ مُوسَى بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَاسْتَكْبَرُوا فِي الْأَرْضُ وَمَا كَانُوا سَابِقِينَ so they, Musa came to all of them with very clear evidences and signs of his nabuwa, of his prophethood, of Allah being in control, and of the dangers of not following the lifestyle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recommends. So they denied by being arrogant and very rude. Okay, so they sought to be you know, above people on the earth, and they were proud people, and they didn't want to humble themselves in front of Musa, who had no worldly authority over them. And they did not win the race. They did not beat Musa at all, and they were lagging behind all the time. So here in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa is saying that human beings are tested. And if you're a believer, you're tested more. The test of an unbeliever is that whether or not to believe in someone who is righteous and someone who is pious and someone who claims he is a Nabi and someone who claims that he has wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is their test. Okay. The way they pass that test is uh, by humbling themselves in front of the truth. 
And the way they fail their test is be, by being arrogant and rude. But uh, as here the Quran says that they will fail, unfortunately. So now you have several categories of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in this surah. The first is the category of Nuh salam and his people. The second is Ibrahim salam and his people. And the third is Lut salam and his people. And then you have Shu'aib salam and his people. Then you have the Ad and Thamud, which were basically one. Uh, and then you have now these three people, uh, or maybe Ad and Thamud will be two separate. And Qarun is now the seventh. Firaun and Haman will be one. That's the eighth. So you have eight types of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now tested. And then when they failed their test, uh, they were now destroyed. Allah now says that for each one of them, okay, what did we do? We seized them, punished them because of their sin. Meaning, through the cosmological standard of justice, Allah subhanahu wa saw that these people were not being just and they have been unjust, and then the uh, scales of justice will tilt towards those who are victims. And then they, those who are guilty of victimizing, they will be punished as a cosmological rule also. Okay. So the Sharia rule will coincide with the cosmological rule known as the Taqween, the code. So if there's no balance there, then uh, things go wrong in the world. And so, so you, that's how you have harmony between the Sharia and the cosmos. So here, these eight groups of people, they disturbed the harmony in the cosmos, and then that tilted Allah subhanahu wa divine attention towards destruction rather than prosperity. That's what it's meant by, For each one of them, we seize them, we punish them because of the nature of their sin. Not just the sin, but the nature of the sin. So with Nuh salam's people, they had long lives and they had plenty of time to contemplate and reflect and uh, they were well versed with engineering also albeit not the way that Ad and Tamud were but nevertheless they were very skillful and they knew how to do agricultural agriculture and everything else and they denied Nuh for over, almost a millennium <coughs> then you had Ibrahim and people also guilty of shirk and also guilty of worshipping the celestial beings and not being able to realize the truth in a young man okay, so Nuh now life is over uh, nine centuries and Ibrahim and appreciation of the truth was very short meaning at the age of 14, 15 maybe he started to preach. So whether a Nabi lives for 950 years or whether a Nabi is just 14, 15 years old, you will have to accept the truth for the truth. Right? Because this is Nabuwa, this is Wahi, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, the, the cosmological divine favor comes down to anyone who has the ability to receive that grace. So you can be an old person and you can be an, a young person. Then, with the people of Lut disturbing the balance of now human behavior, uh, they distorted their own nature and they distorted the natures of other people, and that created a huge imbalance. 
Okay, and the cosmos was definitely out of sync uh, with those people. Then you had the people of Madian, their economic uh, prosperity led them towards an economic disparity and the haves and the have-nots were not balanced and they were totally out of sync and so on. And then you had the Ad and Tamud with their might and power uh, and their physical might and power and also their economic might and power. They did not maintain the harmony and the balance and that Allah subhanahu wa wants people to do so. And then Qarun, although he was a believer, uh, he believed in Musa salam, he also disturbed the cosmological balance of not being able to see that Allah gave him what he gave him and he was not able to see that he needed to contribute to society and not totally hoard his wealth and hence he was also punished for his sin. The Firon and the Mood, the, the Haman, they were punished because of not seeing the need to, to release and relieve the Banu Israel from the impoverished standard of living and from slavery and all of that and then Musa salam delivered them but Allah punished these people the Fir'aun and the Haman for the sin that they committed so from amongst those who denied the prophethood and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there are those upon whom we sent a hurricane a storm tornado and there are those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed okay, because of a shriek and a cry and a sound and there are those whom Allah says we destroyed them by having the earth devour them and then there are those whom we destroyed by <coughs> drowning them yeah, I'm drowning them Hasibat refers to the people of Adam uh, and the Sayha refers to Shaib and also to Thamud and there are those who were swallowed by the earth like Harun and then there are those who are drowned like people of Nuh السلام, and uh, people of the Fir'aun and his people Allah is not the one who is being unjust towards them but much rather they were unjust to themselves again again the, the cosmological uh, system of uh, justice and injustice when you disturb the harmony, the peace and the balance of the environment around you you are being unjust to yourself right? not only just at the ecological level or the level of it, maybe global warming and so on but at least uh, we are saying that th this is uh, at the spiritual level also that when you do not believe in Allah number one you are causing a tremendous injustice to you and to the people around you. When you are not fulfilling your duty to help others and you are monopolizing the resources of the world, then you are creating a system of injustice around you and because of you. And when you are denying people the truth and their ability to listen to the truth, that's also injustice. So now you find that uh, human beings today 
are very eager to say, here you are killing animals, and you are destroying wildlife, and you are disturbing the peace and harmony, and you are disturbing the ecology. The Quran says this is the base, this is the lowest level of disturbing the environment. What is the highest level? Your inability to come to terms with the divine. Except this is apparent, and that is not apparent. People who see that imbalance, they are the prophets, they can see that you are creating imbalance around you. You are creating a pollution of now shirk and ignorance and kufr and injustice in your ethics and your morals. Where anything you do impacts things around you. Uh, that is now also how we understand Allah was not the one who is going to perpetuate and initiate the bulum and the injustice you have created around you, an environment that is invariably going to attract this kind of destructive uh, behavior and uh, following that, the destruction itself. So the, the onus is on you. You cannot blame the divine. People are hungry and homeless and you know, without food and shelter and clothing in uh, this country, not because uh, God made it such, is because you have made it such. There's no reason for that to be an issue in this country, in this civilization. And so then you extend whole dialogue and discussion to the rest of the world, and you see there's no reason why anybody on the planet should be homeless and should be hungry and should be without some form of education and medicine. It's just that you have not appropriated the resources, even though one corporation in America is probably richer than most countries of the world. And when you talk about a 436 billion merger, right? in the news recently we won't mention names, $46 billion profit. That is more than total GPA of many countries in the world. So why, why don't you dispute that wealth? Not from the point of view of socialism and communism, just for the sake of humanitarian relief. <coughs> that's hoarding. And that's what Qarun did. And then when you do it on the auspices of a government, that's what Firaun and Adan Thamud did. That's what they did. Same thing. There's no difference. So here Allah says, Allah destroyed them because of that their sins and the nature of their sins. So this is a reminder of all people that Allah is not being unjust to anyone. It is people who are being unjust when you can't sell your wheat and your barley and your crops that you have reaped this year. Then in order for you to stabilize the market, you go and dump all of that in the southern Atlantic or the northern Atlantic, depending whether you are in the Southern Africa, over there in North America. That is disgusting behavior, just to keep the market on your side. And that's disturbing the peace. So who's been unjust? Allah says, oh, we're not being unjust. Allah is not being unjust. They're being unjust to yourself, to themselves, meaning what you do has a kind of tsunami effect on others <coughs> around you. It's not a ripple, it's a tsunami. Everybody is now part of the unjust community, unjust system that the world is witnessing today. 
So this is how Allah subhanahu wa is now addressing the whole issue, that you have been tested. If you are given a ni'mah, you are being tested. If you are not given a ni'mah, you are being tested. The issue is how you pass the test. So it's not always that those who are underprivileged are tested. Sometimes those who are privileged are tested more. But they don't see it as a test. They see it as Allah's grace and providence from God. And they see that as a proof and justification for their behavior. Because had those others who are the have-nots been favored by God, they would have the same providence. And that is very far from the truth. So it's more of a moral issue now than an economic issue. People say ethics and morals don't feed people. We say they do. Your greed kills. It kills you, it kills the community, the society, it kills the world. That is an ethical issue, it's a moral issue. It's not necessarily just a religious issue or a political issue. Here Allah subhanahu wa brings this out in this surah as a parable, as an example. The ankabut, the spider, as you'll see now, inshallah, here. مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَوْلِيَاءَكَ مَثَلِ الْعَنْكَبُوتِ اتَّخَذُوا الْبَيْتَ وَإِنَّ أَوْهَنَ الْبُيُوتِ لَبَيْتِ الْعَنْكَبُوتِ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ The likeness and the similitude of the parable of those who take others besides Allah as their friends and patrons and their protectors, they are similar to the spider, al-ankabut. Kabut of the spider. In what sense? Ittakhadat bayta. A spider weaves its web. It makes a home. So this is how the spider's weaving of its web is very intricate. Very, very, very elaborate. It has micro, it has macro. And this is how she weaves the spider and then lives and clings in the middle and that's how it lives but then Allah subhanahu wa says something very unique and miraculous which every word of the Quran is a miracle but the most frailest of all homes the flimsiest is the house of a spider it's also the most intricate if you want to marvel at how a small little insect now makes this intricate house and subhanAllah the beauty of Allah's creation number one number two that as intricate as it is if you blow on it what will happen? it will fall if you just swipe it with your hands it will fall even though it's intricate and at the same time people are now saying scientists that the spider's saliva on which it weaves its house is also the strongest substance that we know of. Right? Here the Quran says, Ohan, meaning the weakest, yeah. but it's also the strongest and the most intricate, the most elaborate. If only they know. So here Allah is now quoting this example, it's a parable. Okay. There's a similitude here. Allah is saying, This is like this and this is like this. So now those who make complicated now formulae and equations and study how the world works in a very intricate way, they're only doing this because they don't believe in Allah. 
If you believe in Allah, that Allah is now the ultimate controller of the world and the economics of the world and the life of people and human beings in the world, then they'll realize that their edifices, their paradigms, their theories, their ideologies will fall once you blow on them the breath of Nabuwa. This is the likeness. Okay? This is similitude. This has to do with Tawheed and Risala. Tawheed and Risala. Lokan we alamun, if only they know. That's one. The second is that the spider has eight legs, and here in the, I just mentioned, enumerated eight different types of people from the beginning of the surah until here, uh, as I counted Fir'aun and Haman as well. So you have eight legs upon which the uh, system of the world works. If, they, if it doesn't work with Allah's fadl and through the lens of the Qur'an and Sunnah, then it will be built on these eight legs. But if you have Nabuwa with you, and you understand the Risala and the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, it is very flimsy in your eyes, even though it's intricate. If only they know and understand. That is how the Sahaba saw now Wahi that came to the Prophet وسلم, now, it, it is quite confusing to me that a thousand years of now Islamic economics and the Islamic Muslim Commonwealth existed in the world 1100 years, 1200 years, yeah, until Adam Smith came onto the scenes and then said, this is economics. And the Muslim Commonwealth has never been given any kind of recognition that the Muslims across all the way from uh, Spain to China were able to survive and support all of their economies for millennium without any theory of economics. Right? It's mentioned nowhere in books of economics. The thousand years of human history where human beings lived and survived. In fact, many Europeans would go to North Africa to live because North Africa and other places even Baghdad to study. But no one mentions it. Why? Because it's not intricate enough. You don't have formulae, you don't have equations. Now, how did that civilization of a thousand years, eleven hundred years, twelve hundred years until the Ottomans came and before the Ottomans left, how did the Muslim world survive without a theory of economics? That's according to your writings. We say our theory is based on the fiqh of commerce, the fiqh of capital, raising capital, creating wealth. Our system is based on Nabuwa, Risala, Quran, and Sunnah, and it's based on trust, it's based on mutual respect, it's based on what's known as philanthropy. These are very basic fundamental foundational principles of life and the Muslims run with it and they run very well, Right? So this is now how we see this eye that the less complicated, the less intricate your system is, the more barakah it will yield. That doesn't mean to say there's no regulation and there's no supervision and there, there are no rules. In fact, our rules of fiqh in business and commerce are very intricate and they're very detailed. Yeah, very, very detailed. And so one of the first books the British translated was what? The Hidayah. And that too, book three of Hidayah, which has to do with commerce. 
Hamilton. He translated Hidayah. Tarikh, number three, the most difficult volume that um, Imam Mughlinani wrote on Hanafi Fiqh. Why? Really this, if you understand this, you'll be understand how, how the Muslims survived for a thousand years without any kind of theory. It's, it was all in the fiqh. It was all from wahi, from the Prophet wasallam, from the Sahaba, and from the ijtihad of the mujtahid, that they were able to do this with great ease. So a person who is a trader in Morocco or Muslim Spain will be able to go to China with a suck. What is a suck? A suck is a check. Yeah. On a promissory note that I pay here, I get the goods there. I pay there, I get the goods here. It's very simple. But it's based on morals, trust. I trust my Muslim businessman here and there. I can pay here and I can get receive there. Or I can pay here and get it delivered here, whether it's in Egypt or in Mecca or Medina or so That's how they worked on moral issues. The foundations were ethical. The foundations were not based on procuring money and wealth. It was based on trust. The Prophet said, if you don't have trust, you don't have Iman. And that is what echoed in the minds of Muslims as they were doing business. That I don't need to cheat anyone to make money. I don't need to be dishonest. I don't need to deceive. Allah is my provider. Now, this seems to be very simplistic because you can't develop a, an economic theory of macro and micro on this principle. It's too easy. So the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba, Rahimahullah, Imran, Sahal al-Bay'ah wa Sahal al-Shira. May Allah have mercy on the person who makes business easy. Buying and selling easy. So the idea in the Muslim mind was to facilitate and to create ease. Now, there are rules of deception and there are rules of fair trade and there are rules of dishonesty and all of that that was built into the fiqh. Now, Umar announced in his market that if you don't know the rules of business, you will not be allowed to trade here. So he would go and take them out and then teach them the rules of trade. Not him himself, but other scholars. So he had schooling. Now, it was not in the, the grand scale schooling of Harvard and Yale and whatever, whatever. But it was schooling nonetheless that if you didn't know the law, you could not practice business and trade in my market. And this carried over for centuries. And it became now what you call part of a Muslim psyche and part of a civilizational code to know this is halal in trade and this is haram in trade. You did not need to have a degree except that you would have a, a market regulator. You would have a chief inspector for every souk. In every souk there would be a master who would have a key to everybody's shops. And he would audit and he would make sure that there was no deception anywhere. And that's how you regulate. And it's in books of history. In the translations of our works written by our religionists. And that's what they, they, they have discovered. Now, this is what, very simple. But it's not simplistic. Here, the spider's web is very intricate, but also very frail. Sadil Yusuf means you keep Deen simple that you keep it strong, meaning that your ethics have to be very strong because you believe in Allah. 
You don't take anyone else to be your provider except Allah. Now if you say, I'm going to lose this, a thousand dirham, ten thousand dirham, a thousand dinar, ten thousand dinar, then Allah will replace it for me. <laughs> because they're not God. Who? The people buying and selling with me and from me and for me. They're not God. Allah is my God, Allah is my Razak, and He will take care of me. So now, the, the, the spiritual, ethical foundation that was prevalent in the Muslim market was their theory of economics. Now, you, you can reconstruct all the rules of fiqh to, re, to create or recreate a Muslim theory of economics, which should be done for the sake of our governments in the world today. <laughs> That's a different issue. That's a very different issue from what I'm saying. That is the necessity of the time. Whereas that was the reality of the time. So this is how we must come to terms with this ayah. And this ayah is a parable. It's a matal from the amthal of the Qur'an. And Allah will tell you about the amthal in the next ayah too, inshallah. إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَعْلَوْ مَا يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Indeed, Allah knows whatever it is that they're calling besides Him uh, anything. Yeah. Meaning, whatever they think is God is not God. Allah knows what's in their minds and their hearts. And uh, whoever seeks destruction, uh, the peace and harmony in the cosmos, that will come back toward Him, either in this world or the world hereafter. And Allah knows all of that scheme also. He is the Supreme, the Mighty, and the All-Wise, and He does things with His wisdom. And these are the parables and the similitudes that Allah says we coin for people. Allah is saying that in, 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 in Revelation you have the different types of speech and the different styles of speech that the Qur'an uses. The Qur'an will use prose, the Qur'an will use now kind of a poetic uh, language, although it is not poetry. The Qur'an will use now very legal language. The Qur'an will use very uh, language that is now very melodious and you can chant and sing to it. Allah will use many descriptive languages, many styles of persuasion, many styles of argumentation, and even perhaps uh, very polemic, dialectic language. Allah will also use very creative, imagined, imaginary language of the amthal, the similitudes. So Allah uses every type of language and style in order to send down His wahi so that people know this is the book. So in this the book, there is everything that a person needs to read in his literary desire to understand the beauty of the Qur'an. One such is oaths, you know, Allah will swear by his creation, and the other is amthal, these parables that Allah now uses and coins for people so that they may understand. However, not every style in the Qur'an is going to be comprehensible to everyone. Meaning your legal language you may be able to comprehend. Your descriptive language and the stories of the, the prophets you may be able to comprehend. And you may even perhaps be able to comprehend your persuasive language. But here Allah says about the parables and the similitudes. 
Only those who know will understand them. Right? So those of us who say the Quran is for everybody, they should read this ayah. Well, let us know. These types of verses are only for those who know, know what? The whole Quran. Right? Not just one ayah. So you have to be careful when you go out on the podium and preach to other Muslims or you go out on your dinner over the dinner discussions about the Qur'an. The Qur'an is Nas, guidance for people. <laughs> Qualified. Both those who understand guidance and those for those who are looking for guidance and for those whom Allah gives guidance, it is a guidance. Right? So now, the universality of the Qur'an uh, starts with this intellectual genius and its literary brilliance and that can only be understood by the one who knows that if the one who doesn't know that claims that the Quran is for everybody then that should be corrected that is far from the truth because not every eye of the Quran is going to be understood equally by everybody that is why Allah subhanahu wa sent the Quran to a human being meaning Muhammad sallallahu so that he may explain those ayat. <coughs> so the Prophet sallallahu is the explanation of the Qur'an. He is the tafsir of the Qur'an, so you must understand him before you understand the Qur'an. That's how we see this. Qur'an sunnah, meaning that you understand the Prophet In every book, you must understand the author first, his time, his context, his views, his background, his history, his life, and the politics of the time, so that when you read Hemingway, for instance, then you understand which errors he did, and what's he talking about here. There's a message there. If you don't understand that, you won't understand anything that he is saying, even though it's a novel. You might enjoy the novel, and perhaps you might even watch the novel on a big screen and say, I've understood. No, you haven't understood. <laughs> you missed so much. Likewise, if you don't understand the context of Muhammad his life, his views, and uh, the challenges he faced in his time, you will not understand the Qur'an. And the Qur'an then says to us that if you don't know how to understand the similitudes, the parables, the amthal, then you must learn how to do that. So it's an, it is actually a discipline in hermeneutics to understand the amthal of the Qur'an. It's a science. This is done this way, this is done this way. So that is not left to chance, and it's not left to amateur imagination, where the amateur will say, this is what I've been learned, it doesn't mean that. Because the words won't carry that meaning. So you have to understand the words first. And only those who know will understand. And that is the reference from the Qur'an to tell us that we must be now very careful. We must do our due diligence in order to understand the ayat of the Qur'an, which requires that you have an academic zeal at least, even though you may not have the time, at least appreciate that some work needs to be now put into understanding certain ayat of the Qur'an, and it's not simply a work for all of mankind, and especially not for those who don't understand the whole Qur'an and Sunnah its implications and its applications. Right. So this is an example of how Allah subhanahu wa mentions now eight categories of people and he summarizes them into the example of the spider's web. So 
metaphorically, how do we use the word web in English also? Like the plot and a scheme, you fall into somebody's web, and so on. Anyway, so now, this is the same thing, that those who do not believe in Allah, even though they may not have a conscious of any desire to, to suck you in and to seduce you, they will be doing so in the bigger cosmological framework. So each of them collectively will be drawing you in into not believing Allah and believing in others besides Allah. That's how you see the uh, likeness, similitude of the spider and the spider's web. Some may understand better than we have, and if you do so, that is fine. Allah give you nur and ajr. But the point is, you must be able to first of all understand the wording of the Qur'an. Second of all, make sure that your interpretation does not go against the sunnah. So that you don't let your imagination run wild. And thirdly, make sure that you express it to somebody who knows. And if that person coincides with yours, then fine. Illa al-alamun, meaning go to somebody who knows and then say, this is what I believe or think. You can't believe until you know it's right. At least this is what I think about this eye. Then that person may say it's right, or he may say it's wrong. Well, if he says it's wrong, then you must acquiesce. <laughs> and move on from there. You will not be asked about this on the Day of Judgment. But if you say, this is the aqidah, or this is the truth, then you will be asked about it. Right? So when you have a point of view, then make sure you don't make it part of your aqidah. Because aqidah means it has to be conclusive, and you must not make false claims that you have understood the Qur'an and Sunnah. Uh, as if to say that people before you didn't understand the Qur'an and Sunnah. You may participate in academic dialogue and discourses and have your own uh, you know, preliminary understandings, as long as you bounce it off those who do know. Then you are safe, that is how the Ummah developed. People would have many views that they, they, they had to, as I said, bounce off others, and then the ulama would say yes, or sometimes they would say no. And that's how the establishment of scholarship was now enhanced in the Muslim Ummah, that is part of any civilization. So when you have an opinion in science, or in medicine, or in law, and you bounce it off those who are capable of understanding the merit of your view, then that is fine. But if you don't, then, uh, you know, you can't be a maverick and say, I don't care what others say, this is what I believe. That now becomes a question of aqidah, which is very dangerous. So you, you can't promote an aqidah, which is not there in the Qur'an Sunnah. Anyway, this is a discussion based on the Surah Al-Kabut, where Allah invariably tests everybody, those who believe and those who don't believe. For those who believe, they are tested more. So that is why I am emphasizing that when Muslims look at the text of the Qur'an and Sunnah, they are being tested there also. That's also a test. Just as when people have wealth, they are tested. Likewise, when people have knowledge, they are also tested. So there, just as wealth has to be regulated according to the Qur'an and Sunnah, likewise your knowledge has to be regulated against the same standard, the Qur'an and Sunnah. It is very consistent. Right? We make dua that Allah subhanahu allows us to understand the Qur'an and Sunnah allows us to understand the ayat of the Qur'an in such a way that pleases Him and allows us to practice in our daily Islam.
in this world so that when we meet him, he is pleased with us and we are pleased with him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Muhammad wa alayhi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik ya Rahmatik